Welcome to the Business of Design podcast. I'm Cheryl Horn, Director of Operations for Business of Design. A lot has changed at Business of Design since this episode originally aired. For the latest information and rates on events and membership at Business of Design, head to businessofdesign.com. Enjoy the show. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Business of Design, episode number 110. And back by popular demand, you may remember Sarah Verment, who wrote the book Careergasm. She now has a new book called Career Rookie. And I don't know how long you've been in business. I've been in business a long time. I found this read exhilarating and I learned a lot and I really enjoyed the conversation with Sarah. We kind of riff on the idea of all those things you do not learn in, in her case, business school, and in my case, and perhaps your case, design school, what they didn't teach you in design school. In fact, that was the tagline on the very first book I wrote in 2009. Since that time, I've been able to fill three books with what I didn't learn in design school and host a podcast and run a robust online learning membership. So there's a lot of gaps, right, between what we learn in school and what we need to know in order to run thriving, productive businesses that satisfy us physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Why not? Let's have it all. We deserve it. I don't know what your business training was like when you went to design school, or perhaps you didn't even go to design school, but you took some other kind of education. My business class during my interior design school education went something like this. Hello, everybody. How many of you are here to make money? A few timid hands went into the air, very uncomfortable with the question, of course. And then the teacher said something like this. Well... You're in the wrong business. You're going to die bitter and broke like me. You should do anything else, anything else but this career. You want to stay? You still want to go forward? You're not as bright as you look. All right. Open the book to page whatever it was. That really was an indication that something was broken, fundamentally wrong with the education I got in school. But I thought it was funny. I thought he was hysterical. I thought he was joking. Turns out he wasn't joking. He was not joking. The way they often teach us to manage ourselves in business is a path to self-destruction and exhaustion. I feel very fortunate to have you all in my corner to know that whatever challenges I'm going through at work, you probably have been through them as well. And together, we can fundamentally change the industry. One designer at a time, maybe, but that's okay. We'll take it. Before you hear from Sarah, let's check in with Cheryl Horn. Hi, Cheryl. How's it going? Good. How are you? I'm good. I'm very excited about all the balls we have in the air at the moment, including big changes at Business of Design, big positive changes we're excited about resulting from a strategy session that we had. We have an annual strategy session and uh, Cheryl's been working very hard to implement some of the changes as well. Yeah, we do. Um, we do our monthly meetings. We plan our events and courses and all that kind of stuff. But we also um, do a big session, and we compile all of the feedback that we've gotten from our members over the previous months, um, and really look at them and decide where to go next with our with our membership, and make changes based on that feedback that we've gotten from all of, of from all of you. That's right. In addition to launching several new courses, hiring and budgeting and uh, all kinds of checklist courses as well, we are going to move contracts out of annual membership and into a separate for-purchase item. We have monthly members who want immediate access and sometimes people want to head straight for the contract section of the website. If you're currently an annual member, you know this is part of your membership, and we want to remind you now is a really good time to take those contracts courses, the hourly fee and flat fee contract courses. You have those included as part of your membership currently, and that won't change until August 1st. As of August 1st, those will become a separate purchase. We are going to remind you, members, because we love you so much, to make sure you take those courses and download those contracts before August 1st. 
But if you've been thinking of transitioning from monthly to annual membership, there's great incentive to do it because those contracts would be included as part of your membership. Another great change, thanks to you guys, we will be allowing monthly members to also take CEU accredited courses. Did you know you can take two years worth of CEUs on Business of Design? So if you're an interior designer who belongs to a professional association like ASID or Arito, make sure you take advantage of that as well. If you're not yet a member, it's a great time to join because you will have access to both contracts immediately. And if you are a member, let's get busy. Let's show up to those monthly coaching calls. You can ask me anything. And uh, we've been having some really robust, dynamic conversations on those coaching calls. You guys are really testing my mettle there, and I appreciate it. We are also launching in 2019, as promised, our operations manual course. And again, that is something that will be sold separately. Uh, For those who need it immediately, you'll be able to take the course and download the operations manual that we use at Kimberly Selden Design Group. So we're excited about those two projects. Those are big babies that took a long time to get off the ground. So uh, we're looking forward to having those launched. Right, Cheryl? Yeah, that's going to be great. And also for members right now, the hiring course is live. If you've been thinking it's time to hire before you do anything, I strongly encourage you to use our hiring process. It really works. It was hard won, hard earned. I remember what it was like before I had this process in place and how futile my efforts at hiring were and what it's like now. And um, Cheryl, you were the first product of a solid <laughs> hiring system. Do you know that? that was, we were yeah, about that, that was an intense process. That, <laughs> that really was. It was an intense uh, intense process. But what I, what I love about this is that whether or not you're ready to hire now, it's still a course you want to take because you start that process before you're even ready to hire. Oh my gosh. That's sort of so the true. key to making it work. So even if you're not there yet, if you hope to be there in the next year or two, it's still um, a course you want to take because there's systems you need to start implementing right now. That's right. And I hope you all are lucky enough to find a Cheryl Horn. I really do, Cheryl. (laughs) Oh, thank you. (laughs) Also, I do want to mention Santa Monica Elite Retreat, October 24th to 27th, $2,800 gets you a front seat to intensive learning. We'll be talking about evaluations, less is more, how to work with fewer clients but make a lot more money. We'll be talking about how to hire, how to fire, how to evaluate the staff that you have. So much fun as well. Home tours, garden tours, a little bit of toes in the sand action, a little bit of drinking. Let's be honest, it's going to be a lot of fun. We'll handle your breakfasts, your lunches, your learning, and we will take really good care of you. Get yourself to Santa Monica, October 24th to 27th. Everybody sign up. Can't wait. Um, And I love that half the attendees that have already signed up were from last year's retreat. So I just, I think that's a testimonial right there to show how much they got out of it, that they're, they're joining us again. So Uh, I'm excited for it. And we are going to have two tracks because there are people who are calling and saying, you know what, I want to go to the retreat, but I'm kind of new. I'm not sure if I can keep up with everybody. We will have a track for those of you who feel like you need some more of the basics and the foundations. Uh, And a big part of the retreat is getting one-on-one time for coaching. That's a really big part that has become important to everyone. And I learned a lot at those retreats as well. So I'm looking forward to it. One more announcement before we get back to the show. As part of this episode, we'll be giving away a couple of copies of Sarah's books. So if you haven't already read Careergasm, her first book, and the new one that's just out, Career Rookie, head over to businessofdesign.com and check out the show notes, and you'll find out how you can enter to win. We're going to be asking you to share with us what is the most important lesson that you wish you had have learned in design school. So again, head over to businessofdesign.com, check out the show notes for this episode and enter to win a copy of one of those books. Thanks, Cheryl. Have a great week. Welcome to the Business of Design podcast with Kimberly Selden. Business of Design is the coaching community for independent designers like you. We know it takes more than hard work and talent to successfully run a professional design firm. There are proven business strategies that can solve your immediate challenges and transform your life. 
Don't try to do this alone. Join today and you'll have access to more than 100 video courses, participate in monthly coaching calls, and find unlimited support within our exclusive members-only Facebook group. Unlike traditional coaching, BOD is a fast track to immediate results. For independent interior designers, decorators, architects, stagers, and landscapers just like you. Monthly membership is only $79. Annual members save two months and have access to Kimberly's contracts. What are you waiting for? We all know design matters. At Business of Design, we think designers matter too. Hey, Sarah, it's great talking to you this morning. So good to talk to you too, Kimberly. Sarah, of course, has been on the show before and everybody loved her. And uh, as we jumped on the call today, uh, you said you just got back from the chiropractor. Yeah. It's like a religion for me. I go every six weeks just for maintenance. Oh my gosh. And thank you so much for the recommendation because I am going to go see him as well and your massage therapist. Yeah, they're both magic. Yeah. And I found, you know, when you start running your business, those are the kinds of things that just disappear from your life because you just do not have time to do that and keep all the balls in the air. Yeah. And when you're, you know, you know, hard up for time, that's probably the last thing on the list, right? Right. Okay. But you guys don't need me to tell you that systems, systems, systems will make space in your life for things like a chiropractor, right? And for listening to Sarah Vermont, nice to see you again. You too. All right. We're going to talk about one of the things that um, in your newest book that really resonated with me, and that's all the stuff you're missing when you complete your business education. Or in our case, what they didn't teach us in design school, which is a lot. Yeah. And so you and I are in different industries. You know, you're a designer, I'm a coach, but we have this same thing happening in our industries where our schools prepare us so much for the actual trade and the practice of our work but very often so little on the business side of things, which is essential if you want to have a successful practice. Well, and we go out thinking we're ready when in fact we're, we're like, you know, it's like a one-arm push-up. I might've prepared <laughs> for a two-arm push-up, but not a possibility I'm going to be able to do that one-arm push-up. Yeah. It's a good point. It's almost like when you're not prepared for the business side of things, it's almost like you're a baby bird who's jumping out of the nest before you're quite ready. Gosh, that is that is exactly how I feel. And I smashed down to the sidewalk, not to be too graphic, but there you go. One of the things um, I read from you has to do with asking some questions before you even start your business. Is that a good place to start? Oh my gosh, yes. You should have more questions than answers at the beginning, and you should not be shy about asking questions. One of the things I talk about in the new book, Career Rookie, is that clarity should always come before strategy. So clarity first, then strategy, because if you're an intelligent person, you can probably build a strategy in any given direction. But if you want to actually enjoy your business and build the business you want to build, you really do need to get clear on what it is you want, who you want to work with, how you want to work, which systems are going to work for you. And so asking all of those questions and experimenting until you get clarity is super essential, no matter what kind of business you're building, actually. So I thought I had clarity because when I graduated from design school, it was a terrible recession. I couldn't find a job working for anyone else. So my clear vision was I'm going to open up my own business. I'm going to work really, really hard. I'm going to make clients love me and I'll sacrifice just about anything to get where I need to go. That was my super clear vision. What was I missing? (laughs) (laughs) First of all, how did that feel? Did you burn out? Oh my gosh. I wouldn't describe it as burnout. I would describe it as an implosion. I completely had melted down and wanted to quit. It was oh so hard. But my first intention to work really hard, that came true. I did work really hard and I did sacrifice everything. Weekends, evenings, quality time, chiropractor visits, you name it. I didn't do <laughs> anything nice for myself. Um, I did as much as I could because uh, I was a new mom. And then it was all business all the time that was left over. Wow. That's hardcore. See, a lot of people do burn out when they get into that kind of scenario. And I think working hard is so important. You have to be willing to work hard, especially at the beginning, because 
everything is new at the beginning and the stuff you do now, or the stuff I do now that maybe we weren't super great at 10 years ago comes easily to us now, right? Because we've worked hard, put in the time, put in the practice, but at the beginning, you know, something that takes us an hour now might've taken us a day or two Mm -hmm. back then. So the hard work is so essential. But I Um, found I could work really hard at doing things the wrong way. Oh yeah. Everybody can. Me too. Right. And I never did take time to step back and think, what should I actually have asked myself before I launched my vision? So I definitely want you to tell us what are some of the things we need to think about before we launch a business? And if we're already in business, can we go backwards and implement? Right. So there's a few things you have to think about in business. And we might have touched on this briefly last time, but I I would really like to get into it. And something you didn't mention about your clarity and your vision before was specifically what kind of clients you want to work with. God, I think that's essential because as a service-based entrepreneur, there's only so many people we can work with, right? It's true for design. It's true for coaching. And so if there's only a very small slice of the pie that we get to work with because there's only so many hours in the day, wouldn't it be good to be super intentional about who your ideal people are and also, importantly, who they aren't? And sometimes who they aren't is an easier place to begin when you're just starting out. Like, what kind of people do you not want to have to deal with? And we're not just talking about demographics like age, gender, income bracket, anything. We're talking about psychographics. So what kind of personalities do you not want to have to deal with? What kind of, you know, um, emotional states for your clients do you maybe not want to have to deal with? Um, and so stepping into the mental space and the emotional space of your potential clients, I think, is a wonderful idea when you're just starting out to see which sort of characteristics, at least as you're thinking about them, feel good as potential clients and which ones don't. Okay. So I guess I feel like I'm the most naive person who ever launched a business. I just wanted clients, period, full stop. If they could breathe and they (laughs) phoned me, I wanted that job. And I think maybe other people are in that position too. It is never too late to fine tune the clients you want to work with though. If you've been doing this a year or 20 years, you can still think about who that ideal client is and who that ideal client isn't and get clarity, right? Yeah, absolutely. And this is something I had to do too. And I think the reason most of us are just hoping for clients at the beginning is, you know, as a new entrepreneur, it's really natural to have a lot of fear around maybe not getting enough clients. Right. And so it's almost like there's a, an urgency or like a a small amount of desperation around like getting some clients just to get started, which is totally natural. That's a really natural fear. Um, for example, this is something I also experienced, even as someone who was like a former business prof and knows a lot about business. I built a brand uh, that was not careergasm. I used to have a company called Aspire Coaching. And it was more of a, like careergasm is a very fun brand. It's very much aligned with my personality. My old brand in business was very kind of corporate and serious. You know, if you were to go to my old website, you'd see me in a button-down shirt at a boardroom table looking very serious and professional coaching clients. And that just wasn't me. The problem with that is it attracted very corporate clients that I didn't want to work with. So I too had to fine tune and really think about the kind of people I wanted to work with because I started noticing that I was attracting the kind of person I didn't want to work with. So in my case, and maybe in the case of some of your listeners, I had to do a rebrand partway in. So in my case, I burned that sucker to the ground after about five months and just built an entirely different brand. And man, did it make a difference. What do you say to that person who says, but I'm afraid to narrow my focus and eliminate a sector of the population as potential clients because I don't have enough business? Yeah. Well, I think the fear is really natural. What I would say, and this is super counterintuitive, is the more niche your business is, the more clients you attract, right? So let's say you are a designer and you'll do sort of like any kind of design. You don't have any sort of specific niche. 
and you're hoping that you'll attract a bunch of clients because you got something for everybody and something for you and something for him and something for her. You get a design, you get a design, you get a design. (laughs) Uh, Like no niche at all. And so that might attract some people, but let's say you're a designer who specializes specifically in kitchens and specifically in sort of like retro sort of kitchens. That's a very small piece of the market. But if you're someone who's looking for that, you're going to hire that person instead of the general, I got something for everybody kind of designer, because that person is selling exactly what you're looking for. So the more niche you are and the more specific you are, the more people will hear hear your call to action Mm -hmm. because you've actually got specifically what they want. And again, this is a transition you can make at any point in your business. If you're deciding that you're not in the sweet spot yet, narrowing your focus down could actually get you there much quicker than opening your focus up. Yeah. And again, like I said, it's very counterintuitive. Um, And it requires a bit of courage to do this because the fear is that you will lose some of your clients. What usually happens actually, whether it's design, coaching, whatever, you actually end up losing the clients that you didn't love anyway, because they weren't, you know, you weren't working in an area that was your particular forte or something that you enjoyed. So it's a pretty great trade-off actually. It really is. But what you said there is so true. You do have to have courage. I so often go to conferences or I'm on panels where they talk about use Instagram to get new clients or, you know, go create an online design package to get new clients. I very frequently think none of those things is going to get you new clients the way narrowing your focus down will get you new clients. Yeah. And it's important to narrow your focus first and develop your niche before you start using those tools, like as a part of the, of the branding process, there's no point in, you know, hustling all the time on Instagram. If you have a brand that is kind of diluted and doesn't say much and doesn't really appeal to people. So you have to work on the brand first, which is narrowing the focus, probably narrowing it more than you're even comfortable with and then using the marketing tools. So in my case, I have said for many, many years, my ideal client doesn't want to lift a finger. They do not want to do this complicated, time-consuming, challenging work. That's why they hire me. They don't hire me because I make rooms look beautiful. Millions of people do that. They're looking for someone to do all the work that they don't want to do. I, at one point, hired a business coach who said, you have to do online design. That is was so inconsistent with my brand, right? How do you fit that in to, if you don't want to lift a finger, but I also offer this online design for everybody who wants to lift all the fingers, like (laughs) you really do have to say no, like say no more than you say yes, right? Yeah. And in your case, that is wildly inconsistent. Like your client isn't a DIY person at all. And so an online offering is not for them. In my case, my clients, uh, like high, high touch. Like I meet with my clients in person. Um, there's a lot of intimacy with my clients. And so most of my work as a coach is in person, which is rare in the coaching industry. Actually, most coaches do have online programs and they do calls over the phone. And so some of what, you know, business experts might suggest is like the right thing to do aren't right for my business either. So you really do need to be clear on your own. Okay. So ask ourselves um, questions about who my ideal client is and who it isn't. And you may not have all the answers. You're going to take your best guess at it, but you'll continually narrow that down until you get to something that really resonates. Um, Like for me, my clients don't lift a finger. That just, boom, that was it for me. What are the other questions we need to ask ourselves as we're launching a business or as we're really desperately needing to groom our business? Yeah. Um, let's say you're just starting out in business or you're sort of curious about starting your own design business. I think it's really good to get honest with yourself about your characteristics and traits and abilities. So a very important, very general question to ask at the beginning is, okay, how's your work ethic? Like, are you someone who can motivate yourself to get the work done? 
If so, amazing. Maybe you sort of set up shop as a solopreneur. If you're not someone who can be self-motivated and you need some sort of external accountability, you have to make sure you factor that in, whether it's a business partner or setting up some sort of systems for accountability with your clients or some sort of mastermind group or something where you have to prepare something and have your game together um, when other people are expecting it of you, because not everybody is self-motivated and that's okay. But if you're not, you have to put some systems in place to make sure that you can sort of have that provided for you so you can be successful. It's crazy. I'm going to go out on a limb and I'm going to say, I think 99% of the designers I meet who are solopreneurs are highly self-motivated to the point that they have to do everything themselves or they think they have to do everything themselves and and they are just flat out working as hard as they can work but not gaining the satisfaction of really being the boss. Ah, okay. So there's a big difference between being self-motivated and, and I'm raising my hand here, guys, being a little bit of a control freak. (laughs) (laughs) And so, so this is something I have grappled with as an entrepreneur as well. And so, so I'll just be honest. One of the things I have had to work on in my business is knowing which pieces to hand off to people so that I can enjoy my life and enjoy my business and being intentional about who I decide to hand those pieces off to. For example, I have an assistant that I trust entirely, but it took me a while to get there to be able to even think about trusting anyone. Because like most people, I think that I know how to do things best and I can do things better than anyone else. Um, But that's not helpful if you want to have a happy life because you just be working all the time. So you do need to figure out what you're good at, truly what you're good at. And if you're running your own business, by the way, it's okay to also figure out what you like to do and to put on a separate list the things you really don't like to do and figure out who can do those things first. Yeah, it's so key. Even when you're first starting out, you know, if you don't have, you know, a lot of people don't have the finances to have a whole team at the beginning, right? But there are usually some pieces that you can outsource if you wish for very little cost, if they're the pieces that drive you crazy, or if they're the pieces that you don't actually have the skill with. Like a really important question for people to ask is, am I good at the business side of my design business? You're probably great at design, but are you good at all the moving pieces on the business side? So things like sales and marketing and strategy, if you're not great at those things yet, that's fine, but you do need to enlist some people to help you with it or make sure that you're gathering the information and the skills you need along the way. Oh my gosh, that is so true. And I spent years trying to get better at things I wasn't so good at and years trying to get employees to be better at things they weren't good at. And then I picked yeah. up that tiny little book, Strengths Finder, and it was like, don't bother trying to force someone to be a salesperson who is not a salesperson. They're never going to be a salesperson. Figure out what they're good at and let them do what they're great at, right? Yeah. And that goes for us too, right? Like if some of your listeners are not salespeople, they should not be trying to make their own sales. They should be enlisting support so that someone else can take the reins in that regard. Ah, thank you. I say that all the time. If I could go back in time, the first thing I would do is hire someone to answer my phone because sales and particularly hard sales, really not my strength. I didn't have time to actually answer the phone well. And somebody who's answering the phone, who's not an interior designer is not going to be dragged down a rabbit hole of answering 50 questions before you get that person to sign up for a consultation. So yeah, I totally agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. Something I am not good at and do not enjoy is, um, administrative details, minutia. Um, and I'm also not good at anything technical really. And so for, to be honest, for the first couple of years of my business, I would try to grind through that and maybe teach myself some of that or, you know, have a work at home in sweatpants day to get through the administrative crap. And I've realized that that stuff just frustrates the hell out of me and is actually kind of a waste of my talents because I'm better at other things. And so I should be devoting my time to other things. 
um, in order to make my business successful and, and having someone else do the stuff that I'm just not great at and don't enjoy. Gosh, yes. Okay. Why didn't I meet you like 20 years ago? That would have been so helpful. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Good both. Thank yeah. you, Sarah. Yeah. Um, I know in Career Rookie, one of the things I resonated with are, are the two different methods you suggest you have for building a business. What are those two methods and how do we apply either one of those? Right. So in Career Rookie, I talk about the difference between reverse engineering your business or feeling it out. And the truth is most of us have to sort of toggle between those two strategies. So reverse engineering, of course, is what we all wish we could do. We could have a little plan, make a business plan, have it all ironed out, see what other people are doing and maybe work backwards to see, oh, what are the steps they took to get there? Okay. I'm going to reverse engineer it. And then I'm going to do that too. This is the way all planners and control freaks like to run their business. So I got to tell you, this is the way I wish I could run my business all the time. It's the ideal situation and what we all hope for. So when you know what you want and you know how to get there, reverse engineering is great. When you don't know what you want, or even if you do know what you want, but you're not quite sure how to get there, what we have to lean on is... It feels less strategic, but what we have to do is just feel it out. We have to try some things, which is really scary, right? If you're not sure if it'll work, but it is absolutely essential if you're going to move forward, because what happens if you don't know what you want, or maybe you're not sure how to get there, what happens for people is they tend to stay in paralysis until they have an answer. And what's actually much more productive is trying a little something and then tweaking, trying something and then tweaking. And so a lot of business is actually iterative. Like I'm six years into my business now and I'm still experimenting with things, trying with things, refining them, tweaking them, notice what feels good for me and my clients. And that's actually a really beautiful way to do business sometimes. So long as you have the essentials figured out, feeling it out can be beautiful. And what most of us as entrepreneurs have to do, and you've been doing this for a while too, is like, reverse engineer when you know what you want and then feel it out when there's a couple of question marks and toggle back and forth as necessary. Feeling it out is a little more stressful than reverse engineering, obviously, but it can lead to some really great creative results in your business. Oh my gosh. I felt it out, but I was so busy. I didn't take time to evaluate how successful my methods were. And so what happened for me, I just kept trying the same thing over and over and over again, but trying harder, working longer. I kept saying, I'm going to work smarter, not harder. But all I did really was work harder. Um, So you do have to take time to evaluate whether or not what you've just tried works, right? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I started doing something interesting last year, actually, which is at the end of every month, I will spend just about two hours on a weekday morning, usually on the last day of the month, um, sort of going over what's working for me in my business and what's not. Actually, I do this not just for business, but my whole life, like what's working for me in my business and my life and what's not. And sort of, it's almost like taking like a zooming out and taking a wide angle view of what's going on which is so helpful even just to do it for an hour or two, because usually we're so immersed in what we're doing. It sort of creates a can't see the forest for the trees kind of situation. Um, So you're so right. Evaluating what's working is so important. What a great recommendation. And I would really encourage people to block that time in the calendar every month. And I would say, Give yourself at least a half a day, four hours that you block once a month where you sit back and really consider truthfully what's working and what isn't working. And when I first heard the term reverse engineering, I thought that meant you go backwards from where you are and figure it out in a really stumbling way. But now I understand, thank you, Sarah, that um, reverse engineering is what Business of Design provides for our members. You take the courses, you take my systems, step-by-step systems, you try them, and then if you need to tweak them a teeny bit, go ahead and do that. 
Yeah. What an amazing resource for people. Absolutely. There you go. Yeah. I would, are you kidding? I would have, I I did pay hundreds of thousands of dollars trying to get to it before. (laughs) For sure I did. Let's talk a little bit about boundaries because the minute you said you'd gone to the chiropractor, I'm like, yes. And I specifically remember um, when I was in the busiest phase of my business. And we had a lot of clients. I had a lot of staff. We were not terribly profitable. I was stressed out and overwhelmed all the time. And I knew I needed to get to my chiropractor. So I would schedule these appointments and then I would race into the office. I would fly down in my car. I would stressfully look for a parking space. I would slam into a parking space. I would run up to the chiropractor and I would get there and I would be so out of my mind stressed that it really wasn't that effective. It was, you know, it's really hard to get someone to relax and, you know, have their body manipulated when they're in that mind space. And then the second the appointment was over, I mean, I would run out the stairs to go back to work. So boundaries, how do I, as a, as a small business owner, successfully protect those boundaries that I know I need in order to stay healthy? Yeah. As a small business owner, the trickiest thing is for us to set boundaries for ourselves. Actually, usually when people talk about boundaries, we talk about setting boundaries with other people, but there's two things we need to do as small business owners. And that is to decide where our our boundaries, where we want them to be and set them. But also, and I think this is more important, we have to maintain our boundaries. So for example, you were just saying, guys, block this in your calendar, book four hours once a month to sort of do your review about what's working for you and what's not. So that's an example of setting a boundary around your time. Now, what listeners are going to have to do is they will have to maintain that boundary by honoring what they have set, right? Which is the Oh, you got us. (laughs) It's the, hey, like I've struggled with this too. You know, over time, I've developed kind of a reputation for being a boundary queen. I never work evenings or weekends. Um, but that's only because in a former version of my life, when I was a professor, I was all over the place and I wasn't happy. So what I did when I created this business is, and I'll tell you, setting and maintaining boundaries is much easier at the beginning of an endeavor because that's when you're setting your precedence. This is a much harder thing to do if you're already immersed in your business because you're changing behaviors, not just developing them. So the best time to set boundaries is in a new endeavor, but what's more important when you're in the middle of a business, if you've been at it for years already, is sort of being gentle with yourself, treating it like an experiment, setting the boundaries, but also maintaining them. It's a tough thing to do. It usually takes a lot of practice. I actually had to enlist my team at work to help me with exactly that because I would set the boundary and then I'd say, you know what, I know I'm supposed to be doing top line right now, which is where we zoom out and look at things. I know I'm supposed to be doing that right now, but I'm just going to finish this proposal for Mrs. Byron. And as soon as I finish that, then whatever time is left over, then I'll do my top line. But yeah, course, the important strategic stuff yeah, goes to the bottom. But then of the you know list. what happens, right? Then I finish <laughs> that, and the phone rings, and an email, and so there's so much discipline required for us to stick to those boundaries. I actually had to tell my staff, I need to do this no matter what, so I'm going to need your help. And they really got into forcing me to do the very thing I said I wanted to do. Good for you for knowing that that external accountability would work for you. Oh my gosh, yeah. And if you don't have staff, that's okay. You have someone. You have someone in your life. You have us. You might have Sarah. You have someone in your life that you can ask for help in those situations for sure. Yeah. Another interesting example of this that everybody can probably relate to is um, like, do you ever, if you ever pay for like an expensive gym class, like I love my spin studio, it is 30 bucks a class, but because I'm accountable, cause I've put the money down and I'm accountable for the, the seat that I've booked, I will actually do it. So there's all different kinds of forms of accountability to get you to do the things that you actually want to do, whether it's in your business or in your life, just figure out what works for you. It might take some experimenting. Absolutely. And 
absolutely take time to evaluate whether or not something is working for you the minute you try it. Because I just kept my head in the sand for for so long and I realized like three years, four years, five years later, wait a minute, that isn't working and it hasn't been working for five years. If I had (laughs) just looked up a little bit earlier, I might have figured that out. Yeah. There are a lot of people who come into interior design as a second career, like you came into coaching as a second career. What's advice for them? Should this be something they do on the side while they're earning a salary in their first career? Should they go all in? What are some things they need to think about? Well, the first thing people have to think about is their financial situation. Because I mean, our businesses is what puts food on the table, right? So for, for my clients, and I talk about this in the book a little bit, but you do have to ask yourself, you know, what your financial sort of safety net looks like. And also how successful is the business so far, right? How long have you been at it? Is it bringing in enough income? Um, and so a lot of the people I work with, I don't know, but for your folks, I'm interested to hear a lot of people do start their businesses as a side hustle. And I actually think this is a really lovely approach at the beginning because it gives you a little bit of a safety net and it gives you time to work out the kinks and solve all the problems and put out all the fires while you still have a little bit of financial support for your business. Listen, if you have a nice little nest egg that you don't mind using while you're building the business, that's fine too. But that's not something that everyone has. So I would say like 90% of the people I do business development for, they're all doing it as a side hustle while they're doing something else. Now, we were just talking about boundaries. Boundaries is even more important if you are someone who has a side hustle because you've got your regular full-time gig and you have to carve out some space for your business as well. You have to carve it out and you have to protect it if you want it to take off. Yeah, absolutely. And that reminds me, going back to the conversation about boundaries, your contract can list all of your boundaries. And that helped me as well. Once I put in my contract that we work Monday to Friday, nine to five thirty, I realized that I was giving clients a mixed message when I responded to them on Saturdays and Sundays. So initially I had to put those boundaries into the contract and review those boundaries with the client. And then ultimately they just became so actualized. They're not even in my contract anymore, but I wouldn't consider working on a Saturday or Sunday unless I wanted to do some catch up on my own because I took Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday off to do whatever. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So it's nice that you were able to do that. And also you made a good point. It's important to let your clients know what your boundaries are. Don't leave them guessing. The more transparent you can be about, you know, how you work and how you're going to interact together, the better, the smoother that relationship is going to go. Mm -hmm. I had to let a client know um, recently that I don't accept texts from clients. It's not the first time that that's happened, but she sent me a text. It was a lovely text. There was nothing wrong with the text, but I said, you know, thank you for understanding this, but I use texts for my children and my family and emergencies. So if you don't mind, we're going to continue this conversation via email. And she was totally apologetic and said, that is so great that you did that because I completely understand. And she started describing how overwhelmed her life was because she was getting texts from her clients. So sometimes, you know, you tell clients a boundary and you think they're going to be mad or upset. And in fact, what comes back is, that's amazing. I wish I was doing that. Yeah. It's almost like you're setting a good example. It's true also for social media, right? So as a business owner, a lot of us have like a Facebook page, a LinkedIn page, Instagram, and you know, there's all those little messaging, direct message functions on there. Um, I don't use any of those for, for my business. And so I just don't respond to those messages. And so what I found is if someone sends me like a direct message on Instagram, because I don't check direct messages, I'll actually get an email from them a couple of days later because they've realized, Oh, like, this isn't the professional mode of communication. Maybe I'll actually email Sarah about this question I have. And so sometimes even just not responding to someone sort of quick or panicked sort of reach out is a great way to demonstrate what's appropriate and what's not. 
That is, that's so timely. One of the things that happens for us at Business of Design, we launched our company in 2004 and I get probably every other day a direct message, Facebook or Instagram from a Business of Design member who says, oh my God, you changed my life. I just listened to this podcast or I just took this course or I just did this thing that you said to do and I can't believe how much it worked and thank you so much and, and you know, mwah kind of thing. And I would always respond to those and say, oh, you're so welcome. Thank you so much. We love it. And now um, Cheryl is saying, from now on, you absolutely have to tell those people they need to do that publicly because business of design has become this kind of best kept secret in the industry. People are telling us how much they love it, but they don't go on social media and say those exact things. So we have been starting to say to people like, would you mind using that as a testimonial on our site? Um, It would mean a lot to us. That's brilliant. I do something similar. So I get a lot of thank you emails from my clients. And so if you were to go to my testimonials page on my website, um, you will see a lot of like really genuine, enthusiastic, real language testimonials. Because anytime someone sends me an email like that, I'll email them back and say, like, you know, I'll answer their question or, you know, say, thank you so much. But I'll say, oh, there were actually two sentences in here that I really appreciated you saying. Do I have your permission to put that up on my testimonials page? And always it's usually an enthusiastic yes. But it's a nice way as a business person to get, um, testimonials that sound like real humans using a real language. Right, right. <laughs> like what happens usually when people are starting their businesses, they don't have a lot of testimonials yet. So they'll ask a few people for them, which is fine. But what happens when you ask someone for a testimonial is they get all sort of formal and professional and they say like, you know, Kimberly Selden was an excellent blah, blah, blah. I highly recommend her for anyone, (laughs) which isn't the language they would naturally use, right? And so capturing those authentic words of thanks is a wonderful thing to do as a business person because someone who's maybe landing on your website or something or, you know, seeing your Google reviews or whatever will read that and it feels like real thanks from a genuine person. Oh my gosh. We definitely have been doing that at Business of Design. We have more than a hundred testimonials with people's pictures and where they're from on the website, but it's really funny to say this. I've never done that with clients. Why would I not do the exact same thing with clients? Oh my gosh, you're missing out. Absolutely missing out. And imagine how powerful it would be on your interior design website to see 100 testimonials or 20 testimonials from real people saying real things about how fabulous you are. Yeah. And you can be sprinkling those in on your sales pages as well. That's something I do too. Wow. Okay. See, I'm always tweaking my business always. And you would think it's so evident if it's working at business of a design, why would I not immediately roll that into my interior design firm? But there you go. It took Sarah to bonk me on the head and wake up. (laughs) (laughs) Well, this is what we've been talking. Remember we were talking about feeling it out and constant iteration and tweaking. That's exactly this. It never stops. And really we shouldn't expect it to stop. But I'm a type a control freak. I Girl, want, I hear you. Me too. <laughs> I want a business plan that is in concrete. I want stone tablets on the mount and nothing <laughs> to change. That is just not happening for me, Sarah. <laughs> yeah, I know. Me too. I want those things too. I am like a certified control freak as well. And the trouble with having stone tablets or things, you know, built in concrete is they're not flexible when you need them to be flexible, right? Sometimes you got to take a hammer to that concrete. Yeah. I have found that life has done that for me. It's taken a hammer to it. So it's okay, yeah. even if you're in business for 15, 20 years, it's okay to transform, revamp, change how you're doing things and how your business is set up. In fact, it might be better than okay. It might be amazing. Yeah. I actually think it's essential because if something was working for you 15, 20 years ago, the world has changed a lot since then. And what people want and expect has probably changed a lot since then. You as a human being have probably changed a lot since then in terms of your desires and wants and the way you like to work. And so I actually think change is essential. 
uncomfortable, but essential. (laughs) Yes, that is absolutely uncomfortable. It's so true. Sometimes you just have to face the fear and do it anyway, you know, be brave. Yeah. And that's a good point. You do have to face the fear. You can't expect it to go away. It's the way I like to talk about fear is just to sort of imagine it as a passenger on the journey. You sort of pat it on the head, strap it into the passenger seat. You know, it's going to be there with you. You just don't let it drive. It's going to be a passenger. Okay. I like that visualization. Really good. Sarah, when we want more Sarah Vermont and we do, how can we find you? You can find me at careergasm.com and I'm at careergasm on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook. Okay. And career rookie, career rookie. Yeah, that's the new book. I just had a book come out this month called Career Rookie, a get it together guide for grad students and career newbies. And my first book came out two years ago. That's careergasm, find your way to feel good work. It's so funny, but I'm positive if I had picked up the career rookie book when I had been 15 years in business, it would have completely changed my approach to revamping my business. So sometimes you can be a rookie after many years of trying your very best to get it on your own. Always something to learn. Me too. Always. All right. So you know we like to end every episode with something we call design intervention actionable advice that you think is going to make a huge difference in someone's life right away? Okay, this might come out of left field, but something that has changed my life in a huge way that I recommend to a lot of people is meditation. And I find it's not only helping me in my life, but in my business. And I am not a hardcore meditator because my mind is always going. I'm always on that hamster wheel. So what I do is I use the app called Calm and I just do 10 minutes of guided meditation every morning. And so I love that it's guided because it helps me get off the hamster wheel of thought because I'm listening to someone telling me to focus on my breath. And man, it helps me start my workday in a much calmer state, which is so important if you want to make good decisions throughout your workday. Wow, that's a great recommendation. It's called Calm. Okay. The only time I can effectively meditate is after a yoga class. I'm just spent and we hit that mat and I can really get into it. But I think first first thing in the morning is a really good time to hit that stance. Yeah. Yeah. It's working for me. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much for coming back. I really appreciate it. Looking forward to hearing from you next time as well. And I'm really looking forward to hitting your chiropractor up. Oh, good luck. I know you'll love it. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you so much, Sarah. Thank you. Thank you for being a part of the business of design community. If you love what you hear on the podcast, take the next step by signing up at businessofdesign.com. As our thank you, you'll gain access to Business of Design's 15-step project management strategy, a free introductory course which includes three Business of Design systems you can implement for immediate results. And when you're ready for success, a Business of Design membership, monthly or annual, will dramatically improve your business and your life. What are you waiting for? Together, we will achieve extraordinary results. Start today.